Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be easier? It's C, A, G, Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 99 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast. It's the podcast in which I, Daryl Edgy, humble host and guide, take you, dear listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is true Cage Nirvana, I hear you ask? Well, simply put, it's the highest, most efficient, most ethical, most pure, most spiritual, most mathematical, most geological, most influential sexual form of being that one can possibly achieve in this life or the next. And how do we achieve it? I hear you cry, we'll cry no more, because all we gotta do, simply put, is to watch every single movie of the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage. And that journey continues this week with Pig, 2021's Pig. Um, and what a what a movie, what a time to be alive it has been. Uh, and it's a fantastic episode this week. I'm joined by the wonderful Meg Shields to chat all about Pig. Uh, we talk about favourite meals, the intuition restaurant that we're pitching in this one. We're talking about the wonderful performances, allusions to Greek mythology, so much ground covered here and more. It's a wonderful time. You're going to absolutely enjoy it. Um, apologies if I sound a little bit tired in this intro. Hopefully not too much. Uh, got back home at five o'clock this morning, GMT, uh, from a holiday away, a much needed week away. I uh, got a little bit sunburnt, um, so don't ask me to see my legs, because you ain't, you ain't, you ain't gonna like it. I've had a lovely time in a Grand Canary, even though as a ginger, I spent most of it fighting for my life in 30 degrees of heat. Um, swings around, that's what you're gonna do. Uh, but now we cast our minds to something a bit more low-key, a bit quieter in Pig. Uh, personally, one of my favourite Nicolas Cage movies, my favourite Nicolas Cage performances, uh, that he has ever committed to the cinematic screen. So we'll get into the episode. As ever, you can find us on all the usual social medias as well. Uh, check them out in the links down below on the Twitters and the Instagrams and all the usual places. Links down below, go check them out. And, 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 and be sure to stick around after the episode as well. Uh, because you have, if you haven't been following on the socials, and if not, why not? A little bit of an announcement at the end as well. You're going to want to stick around for this. It's very, very exciting. So stick around at the end for a brand new announcement. But until then, let's dive right into episode 99. It is Pig with Daryl Edge and Nick Shields. Enjoy. Duh. We are bringing 2021 to a close this week with the drama Pig. Here, Cage plays Robin Feld, a former chef turned truffle hunter who must return to Portland in search of his kidnapped pig. 
Joining me on the journey to true Cajun Nirvana this week to see if this movie is bringing home the bacon or just making a pig's ear of itself is film critic and writer Meg Shields. Meg, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. I am in the Pacific Northwest as we speak in Vancouver, slightly north of Portland. So it felt very appropriate to like rewatch the film and then close my laptop and be like, oh yeah. I can see, uh, you know, some of the active volcanoes that Robin was catastrophizing about. Like, great, good. <laughs> you are in the best possible position. Uh, oh, in the for the summer heat wave, yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> for the summer heat wave to talk about this movie, it's like this is the point I'm at the podcast because I think this will be episode ninety nine when it goes up. And now, if if someone says to me, "Oh, I'm breathing the same air that Cage once breathed," I'm like, yes. <laughs> so far down in this rabbit hole um but on that tangent i think i find it always appropriate to ask uh, especially new guests at the start of episodes uh meg for yourself nicholas cage the man i call the golden hog of hollywood um rate hates tolerate uh your thoughts and opinions on the man uh yeah no i'm pretty deep in the pocket of big nick cage incorporated um i feel like uh Knowing what cage you're going to get is important. Um, I definitely think I'm more uh, more gung-ho about um, older Nick Cage films where he's, uh, you know, unbridled, untethered from the modern expectations we put upon him as a character actor. And that it's just like delightful to watch him not be, I don't know, aware of what we expect of him in movies nowadays. And then I'm also super into um, the kind of expectation defying rules he's picked up recently, pig included, um, that kind of laugh in the face of people who kind of, you know, want Nick Cage, the meme to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I don't know, we all love to watch Wicker Man every now and then. Wicker Man shot not far from here in beautiful British Columbia. True fact that it, I literally the the ferry I just took to get to this podcast is the same ferry line that carted Nick Cage off to Summer's Isle. Um, yes. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, no, I love Nick yes. Cage. Like, I love his big goth son. I love. I love. Like, <laughs> uh, I love that he's the he's Klaus Kinski without being Klaus Kinski. Like, that's great. <laughs> love that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's probably one of the most exciting performers we have today who's like trying to do something different, who still manages to like, who's still like exploring new territory, I feel like. Uh, yeah, all positive vibes. Oh, and that's, that's all I'm getting so fast. This is off to a winner as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> do you get people who are like, I'm on the Snake Cage podcast. I do not care for Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's weird. You, you tend to um, you you find that there are so many Cage fans out there. There's a lot of Cage love when you're doing a podcast. There are one or two that are either, and this may come as a surprise to you, um, have never seen a Cage movie before. So this podcast is their mm. first Cage film. I had a guest on for uh, the Family Man, and it was her first ever Cage film. And I was like, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, and, and I've had guests before who. Um, they've described it as they enjoy watching a man try, um, for which is like I've I've spoken to a spectrum of people, um, most mostly Cage lovers, and hopefully people are tuning in to Cage uh, 
in in some capacity but i think like you said i like the idea he's there's like that meme at the moment it's like never let them know your next move which is basically what cage is an actor like you you don't know what you're gonna get i think you know you go you get from face off to like city of angels and then you go from moonstruck to vampires kiss um incredible man incredible man and he's why i call him the golden hog of hollywood Appropriate at this point because now we have yeah, to go back to the film <laughs> with, a, with a pig. It's taken 99 episodes and finally it's <laughs> the commitment is paying off. Nice. <laughs> Although I am, I mean, I'm not asking you to sort of just suddenly become converted to the cause, but I do know people now who are calling Nicolas Cage Golden Hog or the Golden Hog of Hollywood, which is an incredible in joke that's gotten out of control. I mean, I prefer that to the Hollywood Klaus Kinski because I'd rather not. Klaus Kinski, great actor, but oh my God, what a complicated man. <laughs> and so I would, I prefer to call Golden Hog way more, less sticky of a um, superlative. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I, I can, I can switch gears. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been trying for uh, two, two long years. Two long oh my years. God. <laughs> been, and I, you know, even when I'm caught up on the podcast, I refuse to stop. If I, even if I have to just do the podcast all over again, I will do it <laughs> until I think my ultimate goal is um, my main course, if you will, um, is, <laughs> is, is to one day look Nicolas Cage in the eye and say, you are the golden hog of Hollywood. Um, oh, your time will come, I'm sure. I've, we're trying. Um, the, the difficulty is that Nicolas Cage is immortal and I'm just a mere man. <laughs> so, so one day... It's over for me. Um, so either he embraces me with open arms and says, like, you're home, or he, <laughs> he says, a podcast? Stop. Um, so I, I fear that there's um, that there's absolutely no in-between for me here. Outside of sort of the golden hoggedness um, of the whole thing, Pig is obviously a film that I suppose in some ways brought Cage shall we say for lack of a better term, back to the table in some <laughs> senses. Um, am I making food puns without even realising it? Back to the restaurant. No, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> I, I should you have to it. lean in. <laughs> I've got to start committing. It's it's 99 episodes. It's too late to start backing up <laughs> Exactly. <now. sighs> Where's your confidence, man? What happened to you? You used to have dreams. Um, <laughs> just like the characters in these films. Back on track. Nailed it. Um <laughs> When uh, Pig came out, um, or at least when it was announced, I think obviously we can't not talk about. Everyone was like, "John went with a pig." John went. I know pig. it was it was so weirdly marketed, and like, I get it. Like in hindsight, a comp not a comp or not a hard film to market, but a very specific film to market, and I can totally understand the easy street of John Wick the Pig, even though it is that is false advertising <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's I suppose even I like when it was just kind of like a text like um, description of the movie I was like this is giving me some kind of John Wicky vibes oh, but I think obviously John Wick is now so popular and well known that anytime something happens to an animal people are like that, that's, that's Wicky um, mm. so obviously we don't get that Although part of me thinks, what if we did in the alternate universe? I sort of dub it the um, the multiverse of sadness for uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage's multiverse of sadness. 
um, because the mad bomb was already taken. Um, <laughs> there's a timeline out there where we got we got Pigwick. Um, it was a surprise that it was you know depressive espresso cage instead of punching people and demanding to know where Pig is cage. Um, but it was a good surprise. Like I think um, what makes these kind of against the grain cage performances so special is that like this was clearly a film he believed in and I'm not, I don't want to say tried, but like clearly put a lot of energy into, he's a producer on the film, like, uh, you know, campaigned for it when it was out in the world. Um, you can really feel that, uh, which is fine. Like I totally respect a paycheck movie, like nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, I think it not being, you know, uh, John Wick, but pig was actually delightful. Like I, it, I wasn't expecting it. And, uh, I, I'm sure there were people that were disappointed. <laughs> like, I'm sure yeah. there were people who showed up who were like ready to hoot holler and like meme the hell out of the movie who were just like, what, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Sad ass Pacific Northwest catastrophizing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sick of all this sadness. I don't want to see a snapped neck. Is it yeah, too yeah, much yeah. to ask for? You know, this uh, two kinds of people: people who want the sadness and people who want a snapped neck. And, Which um, is fine because I feel like the people who wanted uh, cathartic violence got tricked into watching a film where uh, violence isn't the answer. The answer is cooking your enemy a beautiful meal and making them cry. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe there some net good <laughs> came out of the false advertising. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, the, the investors might have gotten their money back a little bit. It may, I'm like to think there was just maybe just some like repressed dude that went there hoping for a, for a Wick esque film and were just shaking with like repressed emotions. Um, <laughs> I think like oh I've got to cook my dad a meal. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> catharsis hopefully all round for for people. I think, um, but it, like I said, it, it is a film that sort of makes you think about food as well um i found an interview that cage did online and someone asked him like oh what is his favorite meal what is his favorite thing to cook and i don't know if you've seen this as well um he said that his favorite thing to cook it was a um arabiata pasta hopefully i'm saying that correctly um which is like okay nice little pasta you know nothing wrong with that but his favorite meal he said that when he was nine years old, his father brought home and uh, shared with him uh, a bucket of KFC original recipe chicken and a <laughs> bottle of champagne. He described it as, and I quote, absolutely unforgettable. So, I, great. <laughs> and I like, I've. Unpretentious and from the heart. That's like all that Pig preaches. <laughs> It's, it's everything he's done has been building up to pig his entire <laughs> life from yes. nine years. And it's kind of made me think that like, ever since I read that interview like a year ago, all I've wanted is KFC and a bottle of champagne. When you um, reached the end of the tunnel of all the cage films for like a week before the next one comes out, you need to eat that meal. I know. I think I just need to just try and, no, I'm not not saying I'm going to live in the woods for ten years, but I might just just try and just let just my hair just grow out until it's impossible. Just try and grow what little facial hair I can, and just hunch over and just see what emotions I can conjure up because I don't think it's going to be human. 
I think it's going to be a different, a different, um, a different level of a different state of being. The uh, the KFC the the Kentucky the Sham Sham Tucky Sham Tucky fried nailed it Sham Tucky fried <laughs> we found it. <laughs> uh, these these are definitely the words of a man recording near midnight trying to fight for his life and think about chicken and champagne <laughs> and I have no regrets at all. <laughs> It's my fault for being in an annoying time zone. <laughs> Look, you, you, you're too close to Portland, and I'm so not mad about it at all. You've beaten ferries. Mm. You're in Portland. You're breathing cage air. Um, True. I can see the backdrop behind you in the Zoom recording, and it looks delightful, whereas yeah. compared to me, I've got a cardboard cut out of the man. I'm, I'm very sick. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I can sort of say about it. Um did this film sort of like make you think about food at all? Is there a favorite combination that you have? Is it sham turkey chicken? Um, I'll answer the second question first. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite combination, like a strange, com- like a heartfelt combination. That's really good. Um, halloumi and like spicy peanut soup is really, really good. Uh, uh. Like a fermented fried cheese and like a really rich, creamy uh, peanut soup is like perfect. Like, especially we had a really, I was in Nova Scotia for the winter and it was so cold. We had such a harsh winter. Being able to have just like fried cheese and stick to your lung soup was just like perfect. Um, Yeah. Stick to your lung soup. It's it's so good. You will lose your functionality of your organs. Yeah, worth it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know. Like watching Pig, uh, it was, I mean, obviously food is just the kind of, I mean, it doesn't have to be about anything other than food. Like I think it totally works as a film about food because food is such an intimate, personal thing. Um, but I do think it it does open itself up to, you know, anything just this overarching kind of thesis the film has about um there's so few things in life that are worthy of caring about or that you can care about deeply that that could be like this is a directorial debut so i that thesis to me anyway just like rings really hard of someone making a film um and like putting their all into their feature film debut because it might be their last so they're just pouring their heart out so I think anyone who, because food is, making food is creative and you put yourself, a lot of yourself on the line when you cook. So I feel like anyone creative can take something from that for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was a weird film to come out during COVID because its messaging is so existential about like, look, the world is going to end. So like pick, pick your lane of what you want to dedicate what you care to because nothing else really matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... We don't have time left. You need to pick one thing right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and like, there's only so many things to really care about in this life. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you come out of the film thinking like, oh my God, that pig was beautiful. But then a week later, you're like, oh my God, life is meaningless. Everything is <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> It, it's it's a sticker. It's a sticky long soup of a film. Um, <laughs> it's what it is. See, that's that that's the kind of tenuous linkage you get in a podcast like this. Ah, uh, hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Um, 
obviously it did come out during COVID. It was quite a limited release as well. Um, did you get to see this when it, when it first came out? Uh, I got a screener. So yes, I watched it. <laughs> I watched it on a boat in the middle of the Gulf Islands in BC because I was just living on a boat for a bit during the pandemic. One of your stories are a new location and the fascinating <laughs> every one of them. This is incredible. I mean, like I really, I, I dug pig in part because I, I also been around in the woods of the Pacific Northwest quite a bit. Like I do go off the grid and just like live in the woods for a bit. Like I, uh, that, that does resonate with me. I also am one of the people who uh, adopted an animal during the pandemic. And so like, I don't know. I feel like this film hits real different if you've recently like <laughs> had an animal under your life. Um, so yeah, no, I really dug it. And I even, I think, I mean, it, you, you can't kind of untangle the earnest first filmness out of it, um, which is fine. Um, and there are parts of it that I'm less sold on than others that actually like some of it was resolved in this repeat viewing recently. Like I, I really did, wasn't sure what to make of Alex Wolf's performance the first time I watched it where I was like, man, like, is it that you're doing a subpar job or is it that Cage is just like truly outshining you? Cause this is like one of the best performances I've ever seen him give. Um, <laughs> but I, I found him, I focused on him more this time and I actually, um, it graded with me less and uh, softened my critique of his performance, I think. And then the first time I watched it, I was like, man, that scene where they do the the chef fight club really stands out. <laughs> I sort of thought, <laughs> or I was like, that that is like from a different movie. Like, <laughs> what is that? And then, I don't know, watching it again, knowing what the whole picture of the movie was and being able to kind of take it in context. I think the underground chef fight club is like no more ridiculous than like, the way that the the restaurant that um, uh, Alex Wolf's dad supplies to, who does the like, uh, you know, deconstructed uh, naturally foraged West Coast stuff, like that's also ridiculous and like satire um, and like kind of hit the same pitch of ridiculous. And then also like who steals <laughs> their son's supplier's pig? Like that's also just insane. <laughs> so like, I don't know, <laughs> like I think Robin being so grounded and everything else kind of being a bit, wacky and a bit off like actually i it didn't just play for me in that one fight club scene it, it I, there were obviously parts throughout the film that kind of hit that chord um so yeah i i think a repeat viewing was helpful in those two respects for sure i mean i remember um watching it for the first time i had sort of traveled to another city because they're the only place close to me that was playing it and chef fight club is I mean, I think I think exactly like you. On like on a second viewing, like it, it, I think it settles a bit better. But on the first time, it's like this is a. This it's like, what a kind bit. of movie is this? Like, it's <laughs> like you told like, I'm me. I'm down, this, but like, what's happening? <laughs> you told me this wasn't John Wick. What's yeah. happening? Why is a man in a waistcoat pummeling Nicolas Cage? Yeah, um, and I mean, I, like, it does serve the function of like making his face all fucked up, like a bit more. So that he can like stand out even more as he's like traipsing through like high dining in Portland trying to find his pig. Like, which is funny, like him just being, you know, catastrophe Santa at like all these like beautiful <laughs> restaurants is like a great visual and like very funny. And like to get there, they need to have him get wailed on for a scene. So, uh, but I, I do think like knowing how it fits into everything now, it 
there is like ridiculousness in other parts that but but the first time you're watching it you're like what? It's very, <laughs> very confusing <laughs> Uh, and I will say that Catastrophe Santa is an incredible description of how Cage looks for about 85% of this film, 90. Yeah. Um, it just makes me think when he visits his old family house and that boy sees him. Oh, that's such a sweet scene. I, I don't know that, that I, I don't know that I would, react, would have reacted the same way if Catastrophe Santa just turned up and I was like, is Christmas dead? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What happened? Like a, a bloodied um, man in his fist, these is like lank head sort of turns up in your garden. He's like, Where's my persimmons? And I'm like, What are you talking about, old man? <laughs> He's like, Orange. And like, I'm just trying to pay my little panhandle drums. What? This is confusing for me. I'm five. No, um, that young boy was very, uh, had the soul of a saint, very accepting. He, he accepted a lot. I think the innocence of youth there. Um, one day he'll look back on this event and be like, what the fuck just happened in my garden? <laughs> um, uh, are there, are there, uh, I know I have a couple like standout scenes. Mm, uh, sure. I know one for sure is when Alex Wolf is like, whatever, talking about his reputation and stuff. And then Cage goes off on the like, uh, on, um, on the West coast, we call the inevitable earthquake, the big one. Um, when he starts talking about like the inevitable earthquake and how like putting things in context, that's an incredible scene. I think that's like the turning point where you start to realize that you're stuck with the Alex Wolf character for a while. And that like, there will be some sort of character arc for him, which is nice. Um, and then uh, the, the persimmon scene is excellent. And then um, the scene where he goes to Eurydice, the really, um, superficial fine dining restaurant and um the the chef just crumbles <laughs> like <laughs> in the presence of this like incredibly wise man who like, <laughs> like it's such a good scene it's so good there's just so many scenes i think it definitely hit me more on the first viewing obviously not know what was coming up because again to go back to after after fight club i was like well everything's off the table now um, <laughs> anything could happen I think it was always especially the, um, which it mostly is in this film, sort of the one-on-one scenes where it's kind of Cage interacting with someone else. I was like so strong. The scene with um, him and Alex Wolf in um, the uh, uh, in Amir's apartment at the start where he's talking about sort of like the great catastrophe and mm. when Robin's saying like, oh, my parents didn't have like a great relationship. The best night they had was at your restaurant. And then I think, as I mean, like the first time I kind of, I didn't quite get um, Robin's like retort to that. He's like, oh yeah, he's like, my mom sort of killed herself and dad's buried in his work. And then Cage is like, tidal wave. And I was like, I don't, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't really understand what happened there. But then again, it's a second viewing where it's all um, sort of contextualized about, you know, things that are going to happen and things that you've kind of got to accept. It's like, Okay, I'm feeling it now. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm I'm getting into the, the, the more of the spirit of things, and um, I think especially as you said, we've obviously the, the the scene where he talks to Chef Finway in the uh, Eurydice restaurant. It's I think it's up there for me. Maybe one of, if not the best scenes in the movie for me, because <laughs> um, I think Chef Finway would be me if I met Nicholas Cage immediately. <laughs> 
all pretense, <laughs> any sort of uh, outward confidence gone. I'd be like, <laughs> and just, right, my my life is a waste. I should have opened that pub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the country to do it. Um, but it's it's just this incredible thing because he's. They get that presentation from that chef as like, ah, oh, here's the bullshit platter with the bullshit smoke made by the finest bullshit in the area. And then Cage is just, he's just prodding the food, whatever it is that they've got. Some, it's like an egg. And some- yeah, well, oh, there's one line that's like, oh yeah, we're, we're deconstructing local products, local, uh, local sourced ingredients to make them feel alien so that we can come to understand them more. Just like word salad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's um, sort of like a good selling point for Finway as well because Cage just very pointedly just starts breaking him down and he's going like, oh, like a, uh, Chef Robin Feld, it's, um, I used to work for you, I've got this whole Eurydice's place and and then uh, he's just kind of very directly but almost caringly, it's like, you've turned into a real piece of shit with all this, you used to have dreams. And then, he's, and then he's like, "Yeah, but we do it like Porky Pig." You just yep, exactly. <laughs> just, just stuttering, and we get sort of the great, um, just like sweaty laughter. <laughs> just like the top lip is just shining with sweat, yes. uh, just <laughs> eye twitching, um, and it's like you've really got to just see that that whole scene just play out because um, David Nell as well, who plays Chef in a way, I think is outstanding in that scene and yes, deserves so much credit and. Um, and then Cage is just, and I'm going to use Cage and Robin interchangeably because they're all Cage to me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm too deep, too deep to start worrying about character names. Um, I'm just saying like, none of this is real. This isn't real. You aren't real. Um, they don't care about you because you haven't shown them. And we get sort of like, sort of the line of the film really, which is like we don't get a lot of things to really care about, and it just. It's a line that just hits you and makes you want to open an English pub. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have pub dreams after a repeat viewing? Uh, no pub dreams, but I think it definitely is like a good um, maxim in an attention economy where your eyes and your time are being vied for in so many directions. I think the reminder that you know, there's only so many things that will really bring you joy that doing stuff for other people is a waste of your time on this earth, especially if there's a big earthquake coming. Um, so, yeah. So I'm excited that I'm going off to the woods on Tuesday. <laughs> it's like perfect timing. <laughs> I'm just getting this impression from you that we, you, you, you cannot be locked down to one location. <laughs> uh, correct. <laughs> Woods one day, Wales the next, Nova Scotia and <laughs> Yeah, it's uh uh nauseating. <laughs> I've uh what's it called? Uh head spinning too many time zones. Too many time zones. It's like too many time zones, but if you're in the same time zone for more than twenty four hours, it's just rage. Like just, yeah, exactly. There's so always, run away run away into the woods for a couple of weeks. <laughs> there's always a pack suitcase. Waiting yes. to go is the impression that I'm getting here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big twist of this podcast is that I'm John Rick and I have to keep moving, <laughs> running. <laughs> Jesus, what what an absolute twist this late into the game that I'm actually speaking to John Wick. Yeah, that's Jesus. 
you think Jonathan Wick (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan Horatio Wickingston um, (laughs) is is here has been here the whole time Um, (laughs) I was sort of um, sort of with the whole restaurant scene as well again obviously the Eurydice I was I was kind of thinking on a second view and I was like that there's got to be something in that name because like it's Seems Greek. Um, sure. I mean, that conjures up a lot of, I mean, the Orpheus and Eurydice thing of an artist who's madly in love with their partner. We have that both in Amir's dad and in Cage, I guess, and losing them. Yeah. So that does make sense. But then I feel like we're falling into the trap of like, yes, ending this insane restaurant's name. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but then didn't, I think they name drop another one of Cage's restaurants and it also had a Greek name. Or like Greek connotations to the name, so maybe he just like that was his chain. Maybe he was a Greek chef. Maybe that maybe that was his thing. He was making like gyros and uh, tanzaki sauces and all of this sort of like continental stuff. I just feel like um, I would love to visit the Robin Restaurant. Because it feels like he's someone that he would just look at you and just know what it was that he'd want to eat. Yeah, there's no menu. He's just like, I know what I'm making. It's just, maybe this is the pitch. It's a restaurant based on intuition. (laughs) No refunds. But then I think he would look at me and be like, fried chicken and champagne. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Like, when you know, you know. But if he, you know, you're at the Intuition restaurant, does this restaurant have a name? Um, I don't know. Ye oldie golden hog. Um, you're at the table. And then the, the red velvet is just revealed to be, um, it's like halloumi and s- sticky choke on your own. <laughs> I'd be like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's just cheering going. Yeah. <laughs> like cage, 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 cage. Yeah. A restaurant that. Fixes marriages, it's so darn good if, if this one is to be believed. It fixes marriages, it fixes relationships, it fixes what ails you. Um, bad backs, why not? You're gonna walk <laughs> walk out of there straighter than a capital I, um, which I think would generally be incredible. And I, I'm into the idea, and with the little money I have, I'm going to Dragon's Den. I'm, <laughs> I'm pitching the idea to the dragons um, and I'm going to slowly wait for them to poke holes in all of my dreams and then I will soon move to the woods and become a recluse. I think that's my life arc now. You know, 30 years in, it's all been building up to the failed investment. <laughs> got to tick that box. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got, I've got boxes to tick as I go into the next 30 years of my life and... Um, I need a failed business plan. I think I'm overdue for one. So, uh, Yoldy Golden Hog Intuition Restaurant. If it's not the food poisoning that gets you, it'll be the lack of business acumen and (laughs) money. Um, I will say it's nice that the film lets him go back to the woods. I think when I was watching it, I was like, man, is he going to have to, like, whatever? Like, uh, is the moral of the story going to be that you can't? live life on your own terms and like have your space and whatever and i like that he just gets to like we get that nice book end of him going back like i 
I and that not being bad. Um, and then he gets to just like do things on his own wavelength in terms of how he processes it. Um, mm. Like I was worried that the final scene was going to be him like cutting a ribbon and being like, my new restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Looking into the camera and winking, going, Robin's back, back, baby. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Winks into the camera and then all the people who wanted Wick were like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) But it turns out that this Wick is... um, is the most dangerous chef in the game. Yeah. When you work, I don't know how long you, the shifts are at a, a restaurant. You do like a, what, 8, 10, 12-hour shift, and then you go underground and start slapping someone around for coin. <laughs> it's a living. I think you've just got to make sure that in a Portland restaurant, you've got um, an underground passageway. Right. Um, just, and I think... I th- I'm still thinking about it. There's a film in that underground fight club. I want to. There's a whole separate movie happening. <laughs> the underground fight club scene of Portland that only caters to sous chefs. I think there needs to be an anthology of Portland based movies in this pig universe. <laughs> um, there's the underground fight club, but obviously this pig. Uh, God knows what else would be like. Chef Finway finally opening that pub. Yeah, and it, and it could be the greatest romance story of all you're time. You're already thinking about franchising the the PCU, the Pig Cinematic that, Universe. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's that business acumen. The uh, the PCU. I want to see Chef Finway because he said his his signature dish was going to be these like Scotch eggs in a honey mustard sauce. I want to see the man perfecting those eggs. I want to see him deep in the Scotch eggs. <laughs> yes. I th- he he deserves himself a, um, a happy little arc. Um, and obviously the film as well was sort of broken up into parts, which was, it was like you were going through the menu, like starter, main, and desserts. Um, you got a rustic mushroom tart to begin, mom's French toast and deconstructed scallops for part two, and thought it was a bird, a bottle, and a salted baguette. Uh, did you sort of like the way that the film was sort of broken down into kind of like a menu, really? I did. I think it made sense for this film. Sometimes uh, films implement that structure and it feels very put upon, but I think I think it made sense here. I thought it was pretty cute and like not in a condescending way. Like, I don't know. Uh, but but I I almost wonder. <laughs> like I don't know. I, I I do long. I know physical media isn't dead, but I do long for the days of like creative DVD chapter titles, and I feel like maybe this push towards having chaptered or sequenced films is like people need to get it out of their system <laughs> sure. um but like yeah no i don't know i thought it was pretty cute and it did not bother me here the way it's bothered me uh yes also um am i right in saying that it's the same editor who did mandy because mandy also had chapters um yeah i think it was brett Backman, I think, who edited um, there's a few Cage films in a row that were edited by the same person. Yeah, and and I also liked the chapter splits in Mandy because it was very um, uh, pulp novel. You know, uh, yes, it, it, it made sense there. It makes sense here. It like has a narrative tie. So, two thumbs up. 
It's as many thumbs as a person can give. It's high, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, the highest, highest amount of thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I offer my maximum thumb out of two. Um, I like to think, in a way, sort of bringing up the sort of the editing link that, in in some way, in like the sense that people joke that uh, Malcolm in the Middle is actually the sequel to Breaking Bad, that Pig is actually the sequel to Mandy. This is what he did afterwards. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the first half of Mandy and this film have a lot in common, like, especially Cage's performance. And I don't know about you, I prefer the first half of Mandy to the second half. Um, like, obviously, whole film great, maximum amount of thumbs up. But the, yeah. the first half is definitely more interesting and compelling to me because it's so against what we expect of Cage. And I think like this quiet, soft, um, rich internal life version of Cage gets to, you know, flex its muscles both in the first half of Mandy and in Pig. And like we get a feature length version of that in Pig. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be a pretty dope ass double bill would be start with, I would actually start with Pig and then go Mandy when things get moodier later. Um, I think that would be hard to go from that final shot in the video. <laughs> that'd be a bit, be a bit tough. But. <laughs> I think you'd have to find a way to edit like the last shot of Mandy with him with all like the blood on his face, and then just some way to merge it into the bloody Robin face. Sure. S- suggesting that he's not washed for about thirty years. Yes, yes, yes. Um, because I don't know. I don't know if you come back from that like craziness of Mandy, and then you double down as a chef and then you put all your love into you know something that's gone as far as i'm thinking of parallels like it's all my mind just open like a third eye yeah i think both films do have a lot in common although i do think like obviously you know they're in different genres so the way that red and andy deals with the loss is <laughs> like not tenable <laughs> in the real world and like exaggerated. Whereas I like I actually think there's a lot of praxis and like good trauma work happening in Pig. Like I think like he was doing fine. <laughs> like <laughs> like I like I actually don't think there's any character growth from Robin, like for the most part. Like he's not the character that like learns anything new, like that's in here. Um hmm. uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think Robin had it figured out. I think they just mess with his system. <laughs> yeah, maybe if Robin had just jumped into like a a pile of just like white powder and made himself like a battle axe. Sure. Then I think there's a would have gotten his pig back quicker. Probably wouldn't have lost his pig if he had <laughs> battle axe for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what we're saying. If you just if if people you just have a battle axe ready to go. That is a funny thing about the film. Like, the film seems to be pretty, like, pro-Robin's decision to take a step back. Like, I feel like the film is pretty unjudgmental about that. But at the same time, there's, like, multiple parts of the points, especially in the beginning of the film, where he, like, doesn't have a watch. Like, his car breaks down. It's like, man, probably should have had a working car. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, maybe a Garmin sat phone. Like, just, like... It's fine to be off the grid, but like if your pig goes missing, like you probably want to be able to drag off. Like, I don't know. So it's 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 funny. Like, <laughs> can't have it both ways. Yeah, just so incredibly like I said, 
so incredibly off the grid, like no shower, no phone, no watch. Car works for about 10 seconds and then sort of conks out. He's been removed from society for um, 10 years since his wife passed away. So, And then the outside world, they try to convince him that, like, oh, you, your name doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, you're basically a, a ghost. Um, and I, I it's very, of- like, I, I know it's trendy to, like, call everything a Western, but it definitely does feel like man with no name, like, coming back to town and, like, my horse is missing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and there is like a pretty good tradition of Pacific Northwest set Westerns that I think this would slot into quite nicely. He was missing one thing it was a cowboy hat. They needed like, they needed to get like a cowboy hat and then the, the big, um, the big fur coat that one baby has in Kate and Miss Miller, which is the ultimate Pacific Northwest Western. Um, yeah, that would have that would have really tied the film together. <laughs> yeah, big ass fur coat. <laughs> it, was, um, it was just just um, a beat of costume that I just didn't make this yeah, a yeah. fault. No, no, like, no. I I love his his big dumb trench coat. It's also good. His his suspenders and his uh, sort of all in one long it's john. Like, it's just prospector long johns. Yeah, the other <laughs> like no notes on the prospector long johns. No notes. It's a vibe. I'm into it. I want it. Yeah, I mean, who amongst us has not dreamed of having a one-size-fits-all fit, for fashion in <laughs> the prospect of long jobs? I mean, I'm six foot four, so that's the dream for me. The uh, <laughs> the, the tall boy prospector is, uh, <laughs> is, is the new dream that I've just invented, and I want nothing Perfect. more than to be um, a TBP, a tall boy prospector, um, and I want to go find gold in the mountains, in those truffle-filled earthquake-ridden mountains of Portland where everything happens. Um, and also you get a nice salted baguette. So that would mm-hmm. be, be um, a very nice thing there. Um, but I, I'd sort of read something on, online as well, and I think they sort of go back to the, like all the comparisons of like how these films deal with like grief and loss. You've kind of got all the characters of... Um, Robin Amir, Darius, even Chef Finway to an extent, who all had something in their lives that they then lost and became these sort of different people and couldn't really move on from loss. Obviously, Rob lost his wife. And then uh, there's a question like, oh, does the, the pig kind of act as a substitute for the love he had for his wife? Obviously, he doesn't fuck the pig. We know this as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, Amir's mother, we learn he's comatose. He's still seeking his father's approval whilst he sort of secretly hating him. Darius is a criminal of the food underworld, which is an amazing <laughs> title. Um, while destroying, well, wanting to destroy his son's business in the process, which I think you said earlier, like who, who tries to. It's like a mustache twirling villain. Like it's, like when Robin and him first meet and he's like, I own this town. Like, like you thought you like, he's just like a cartoon character where he's like every person you've met, like I control. Like he's just like a cartoon mob boss. And he just, just like, uh-huh. Uh, look, I literally just want my thing. I like, don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, um, Darius is dick dastardly and catch the pigeon. Like this mm. is, it's like, bring me that big. Yeah. Um, like tying the pig to a railway (laughs) (laughs) the pig's tied to a railway Cage is our wily hero who saves the day every episode Darius is just in like 
fucking hot air balloon just like tooting around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, Chef Finway is just porky pigging it up in the background. I'm just right. dreaming of it's dreaming the whole of, show. <laughs> it's a whole show. There's so many concepts being brought out in this episode. <laughs> You know, the uh, the intuition, um, I was about to say hotel, you might as well be a hotel, restaurant and hotel. The dragons are going to love it. Um, <laughs> there's just all the, all the grief and stuff. There's the sort of the Greek symbolism. Oh, God, it makes me feel smart, but all I did was Google things and I'm taking credit. <laughs> L- look at me taking credit like I'm some smart lad. Um, but it's just just a lot of interesting layers. It's it's the Shrek onion. All <laughs> It's it's all these layers. Shrek was a prophet of our times. Truly, <laughs> is um it is certainly what he was as well. Um, I think certainly another scene which I thought was, I think just as powerful on the second viewing as well. Um, the, I guess up the three way confrontation at the end of Robin, Amir, and Darius. Um, they've sourced these ingredients, these special ingredients, and now they're sort of cooking. Uh, a meal for Darius. Um, how how did that scene sort of work for you? This sort of like this culmination of everything so far at that dinner table and beyond. I mean, it was pretty satisfying because like the whole film is hyping Robin up. It's like we get to see him cook at the beginning a little bit when he makes the mushroom tart. But I think getting to see him like back in the saddle is very satisfying after like forty minutes of people being like, "Holy crap! Like, like you're you." Um, and then getting to see. The other thing we've been told about in action of like his food having a like a heart power on people. Um, also, like because you know I, I don't know how much we're spoiling, but this film has like a pretty sad conclusion. So I think having all the emotional um, linkages come together in that meal, as opposed to a reunion, I think is the play. Um, so yeah, I I was it, it's quite a powerful scene on first viewing, and it still totally holds up in the second. For sure, and certainly don't worry about spoilers. Okay. Um, Pig doesn't be... make it, guys. <laughs> Sorry, pigs whacked. Yeah, pigs, <laughs> pigs whacked. Pig got wicked. Pig yeah. got wicked. Um, I always feel like I, sh- I should do spoiler warnings. It's we're ninety nine episodes in, and I've remembered to do it maybe five times. Um, I'm. Just... Uh, game, that's on them <laughs> if you've not seen the film uh, but also the, the, the brain's gone I'm, I'm too deep in the cage hole and nothing else matters um, but yeah but yeah but it, it's it, it, it's such a powerful scene and you get the sort of extra build to this in the the first Robin and Darius confrontation when Darius offers him 25k to sort of walk away because he wants the truffle business again a very very dick dastardly move um and then he threatens to kill the pig and you just get that scene outside where he's like i don't need my pig to find truffles and he's like why did we do all this then and it's just that very simple but effective because i love her and it's like <sighs> yeah and it's nice how amir like completely understands right away like he's not like what do you mean he's like oh Oh, um, mm. yeah, no. It, it's not yeah. him going like, so you do fuck the pig. <laughs> yeah, I know. In a worse movie, they would have taken that opportunity for sure. <laughs> um, and then you get this delightful, very satisfying, not montage, but it's like 
them running around town to all of Robin's like buried caches of treasure and like old pals to conjure up this meal from beyond the grave. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm, just I, I like how it, it manages to like be really satisfying and that like watching people cook is satisfying and watching Darius, you know, uh, do an about face is also satisfying. Um, while also kind of like having that downer ending, um, that it gets to have it both ways and that it works is really sweet. Yeah, I, I like sort of the, um, I guess, like the bond that Robin and Amir are slowly forming over the course of the film as well. Because initially it's like, don't concern yourself with this. You are literally just my ride into Portland. And then there's when he comes out of the bakery afterwards. Um, and even that, it's just like a, just like that long shot of him and the baker sort of talking. And then he comes out and he gives, I think he gives him like a little bit of bread or something, mm-hmm. like a cookie or something. And, it's, and it feels a lot of that as well in that... Um, uh, in that, like, food is a connection. It's, like, in some ways it's, like, a payment for people, but then it's also a connection. It's bringing these characters closer together as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, like, I just feel like when I'm just putting down some biscuits for my cat, I'm, like, do you think <laughs> I'm a chef? Or just bringing you closer to me? But he's just face down in a bowl crunching away. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates it on some level. But I liked the, the sort of bond of them, like, cooking together at the end, like, you know, this very sort of, like, gently shot uh, moments of them sort of preparing the bird together and um, all the sauce and stuff. And I was like, this is nice. I like you two together. I like you, Amir and Robin. This is this is nice. I like this. Mm-hmm. I like this moment. Um, and then when Darius starts breaking down because he realises that He's eating the meal that him and his wife had at Robin's restaurant, like one of the happiest days of his life. And then it's the whole, like, I remember every meal I ever cooked, every person I ever served. And I was like, you you do care. (laughs) It's like, oh. Then it makes me think, like, how many people have you served that you remember everything? Yeah, what a curse. (laughs) (laughs) A blessing and a curse. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if, if you went into a restaurant and then... They're just like, Meg, gotcha. And then you're like, I haven't even taken that <laughs> <my coat> off. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is a lot. My Warren Beatty fur coat is still on. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I need to take the cowboy half off. I must yeah. tip my cap to someone first. Yeah. The saloon doors are still swinging back and forth. <laughs> I haven't had people stop looking at me yet. Um. Obviously, the, the the tearful Darius confession that uh, the pig didn't make it, and then it's when like the sound just kind of like stops. It's almost this brushing noise, and Cage just sort of falls into a heap on the floor. Even on the second viewing, it's been about it's been about almost a year since I watched it for the first time. I was like, that still hits. That still mm-hmm. hits like so hard. You know, did that? You know, tearful Cage, Amir's tearful, Darius is tearful, like. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think what makes it so effective is it's not like, like Darius has dropped the the mob boss Dick Dastardly stick and like is genuinely really sorry and like understands what, like gets the perspective to step back and see what's happened. And the fact that just everyone feels bad, is like, like realistic and just like um, complicated in a way that 
hits different and harder than if Darius was like twiddling his mustache, like your thing didn't make it. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> like, like the fact that everyone's just like grieving that yeah. just, that all these stupid human you know pretensions resulted in this you know tragedy uh, is pretty effective and i i still think it's quite something of a magic trick that the film gets to have that moment so close to the end and not like totally feel like a bummer <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah it's it, it, it's just been building up to that whole moment and it just packs such an incredible punch like remember like I don't sort of um, get like, I guess like a motive at like a lot of films. Like I, I know when like scenes are sad and scenes are happy sure. and stuff, but like the physiological reaction is rarer. No, I'm with you. It's it's I I don't know what it was. It's kind of like you're wondering in the back of your head, and then you get that confirmation, and then when it all happens, there, there was there was a single tear that obviously, as a repressed man, I had to suck <laughs> back up into my eyes. Like I can't right. can't let anyone see this. <laughs> Um, just threw popcorn into my face. I was like, "Oh God, I'm so clumsy." Um, but it's it's just intense. And then he sort of says as well. I think he says something in the diner afterwards. It's like, if I hadn't come looking for the pig, she still would have been alive in my mind. So it's, and I think him like, I guess the symbolism of him washing himself in the lake afterwards. It's him coming to terms with the loss and the grief and sort of being able to move on. And I think in that sense, he can find he can finally play the tape that Laurie left him, the sort of for Robin tape of her singing. I think it's a Bruce Springsteen song, so mm-hmm. he's able to accept the grief. Um, and when he's playing that tape at the end, um, did you think that was like, I guess not necessarily like a happy ending for Robin, but were you sort of content with his ending? Like he's, he's sort yeah. Of, sort like, of I mean, like if if he had just been like, trauma's done, <laughs> like like <laughs> like. Like the pig was a one-to-one surrogate for my beloved wife. I, I, I'm cured. Like I think that would have been, uh, you know, unsatisfying. And mm. uh, I think that I think the film's relationship to like care and grief, like totally cohered with the kind of long-term healing that Robin needs to do. Where it's like it's not like this will be a constant thing not there's no end point and i think the small stepness of it all rang through and yeah no i i was quite happy with uh the emotional resolution he got i don't think he like he's i don't think he's the character who like learned the most i think that's still in here but i think i think as far as robin's heart goes yeah (laughs) yeah definitely and um You'd mentioned earlier about sort of Alex Wolf in this, and he weren't sort of, I guess, to take him with him on the first viewing. Um, but I, but I do think that might mean he did a good job because I think he's supposed to be annoying. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I was just like fuck this guy. <laughs> like, um, whereas, like, yeah. I think in the second viewing, when I know he gets <laughs> like shithead rehabilitated, <laughs> like I think I may be a little more patient with him in the first act. Mm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but also like, unfortunately, Cage is giving one of the performances of his career. <laughs> so it's like kind of hard to act around him, I guess. But um, but yeah, I don't know. There were definitely scenes that I appreciated him a lot more in, uh, like when he does go to see his mom and just like pours his heart out to the door. I thought that was very effective. Um, 
I thought the smaller moments of him, like, like, there's no point where he's like, you're right. Like, none of this matters. Like, he doesn't do the, like, thesis statement shit. Like, I think his, like, very quiet internal change is really cool to watch. Like, he does a lot of listening and a lot of kind of, um, uh, like, he's very much like a sous chef. Like, it's at a certain point where he just, like, like, definitely looks to Robin when he realizes that he might need to change his perspective. And uh, mm. I, I definitely appreciated that a lot more this time. He didn't watch Pig. He listened. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, it was, and, and it was a huge arc. Um, and, and obviously this was um, uh, the role of a, a career. Many say the comeback role for Cage, like the, the, the tippity top of like the Cage reconnaissance of recent years. Uh, and obviously like a year removed from the release of the movie at the point of recording. Um, uh, this was one of putting back into awards conversations. He swept a lot of critical awards, as did the film, but a lot of people, myself included, um, a little bit, a little bit miffed, a little bit um, and annoyed that it didn't make it to, I guess, the dance, like your Oscars and your Golden Globes and such and sure. such. Um, did you feel it should have had that recognition? It should have been at least yeah, long listed, totally. if not shortlisted. Absolutely, yeah. No, I do. Um, yeah. Don't need to elaborate. Yes. <laughs> Pig robbed. <laughs> Pig robbed in film and outside of. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is. Pig, pig lost. Like that could have been the headline for some things. <laughs> <laughs> it was there. It was there to yeah. take, which, you know, incredible. As we say again, like the directorial debut for Michael uh, Sarnowski. And I think the first, uh, screenplay for Vanessa Block as well, um, or certainly up there, which is kind of just, it's just like how dare you make something so beautiful <laughs> out of the gate? It's uh, it's it's incredibly edifying, but also like how how have you how have you pulled this off? Um, I was sort of reading into the, like the awards as well because I brought this up on the podcast before, um, and for a long time. Um, the sort of one a nomination that I wanted to point out, um, which was circa uh, coming from the Razzies, um, for a long time, these villains have been after Cage. They'd mm. sort of nominated him for like 10 years in a row from 2007 to, through to 17 for like worst this, that, and the other. They never got him. They never got him. <laughs> and then for this, they've had the audacity Nameg, the temerity to really? n- nominate him for um, the Redeemer Award, which is basically when someone's been nominated for a lot of stinkers and then they've had a turnaround. Um, now, unfortunately, he didn't win the Redeemer, fortunately or unfortunately. That went to um, Will Smith for King Richard, the Redeemer Award. <laughs> but take it as you will, that same year they also had an award which was quickly rescinded afterwards and you'll know why as I start saying it um, it was called Worst Performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 movie which was no. quickly, quickly rescinded after the medical condition was revealed so, I await the day when they dissolve and apologise <laughs> <laughs> They, they, there was some sort of bullshit statement as like, oh, we can't, we can't in good faith be, be, be nominating. Like, you've been after people for years, Razzies. 
I sort of went more in depth than this in a previous episode, but for a long period of time, they were, they had, and, you know, excuse the the imagery here, but they had like a raging hard on for Sylvester Stallone. They would not leave him alone for a while. Um, Eddie Murphy, they had it out for him for a long time. Cage was in their crosshairs for longer than he deserved, and now they try to palm him off with the Redeemer and don't even give it to him. So, it, is this justice? I don't know. Um, does this bring us to the end of the Razzie arc of Nicolas Cage versus the Razzies? I hope so. Um, but it's uh, it was just it was just a, a lot of emotions, yeah, to go through that. Um, so. Razzies, you're not welcome at um, my intuition restaurant hotel, <laughs> which is which is what I'm saying. Um, it said this was also one of uh, President, former President Barack Obama's 14 favorite films of the year 2021 as well. Nice. Um, so from Redeemer to Obama and everything in between, this film is doing a lot of the rounds. Um, and Cage, obviously, we're talking about sort of the grounded realism that Cage brings to this. He said he wanted to remind himself and audiences that he could give a realistic experience. <laughs> um, he'd largely explored what he calls Western Kabuki, uh, what could be done with filming performance in terms of the abstract and operatic and breaking form. I wanted to get back to expression in film performance. And also said he'd recently lost his cat Merlin, so felt he could play the role organically and authentically. No, I didn't well. know that. Oh, no. <laughs> I know this is it's kind of like heart wrenching. It's like uh, uh, yeah. um, you just want to you, you want to ugly cry when you when you read that. Um, and he had, had said of Michael Sarnowski, called him Archangel Michael. Um, and his direct quote was, "I knew after a couple of flops, I'd been marginalised in the studio system, and I wasn't going to get invited by them. I always knew it would take a young filmmaker who would come back or remember some movies I'd made." and know that I might be right for the script and rediscover me. And that's why he's not just Michael, he's Archangel Michael. This wouldn't be happening if he didn't have the open mind to say, come with me. So it's... um, That's so sweet. You know, not to invoke the Razzies again, but it's kind of a redemption thing for Cage as well. So I I think with a lot of his straight-to-DVD stuff of recent years, at the point he'd been looking for that younger filmmaker to sort of, you know, is he going to be the one to sort of sort of come back with him and they can sort of propel each other. And I think one of the loveliest things that Alex Wolf said, and I quote, it was the single greatest partnership and experience of his life working with Cage, with the exception oh. of his family. And now him and Cage are, <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, and he added that him and Cage have become great friends as well. Oh, that's very sweet. Which is, it is, is very sweet. It's very sweet. Um, it opened at number nine in the US box office. It, uh, it was the same week that Space Jam, a new legacy, came out. Yeah. And went, straight, went, went straight to number one. Shame on you all. Um, <laughs> and I think probably because COVID reasons, limited release made about 3.8 million at the box office. Um, but I think, you know, as we say, this is going to go down as one of Cage's greatest roles. I think it, for me, it's going to be up there with the likes of if you're talking, you know, action stuff and all that kind of thing aside, like a like a leaving Las Vegas and adaptation kind of sure. thing in terms of and I always hate saying this on the podcast when you want to group the 
the sort of film was when you say to people, these are the films that you watch when you need a reminder that Nicolas Cage can act and he's actually very, very good. Um, I think Pig's another one that you sort of add to that pile as well. Um, but I suppose on that on that sort of note, as we sort of come to the end, uh, what would be, I guess, uh, your, your sort of final thoughts and feelings on Pig? Uh, it's such a gem. Like, I think directorial debuts have have a lot of energy to them and a lot of heart. And I think given what this film's message is, I think that sort of eagerness and that um, energy is very well utilized and given a lot of um, opportunities to really like harmonize with the film's thesis. And it's also just like, it's well shot, very well acted. I think what it has to say uh, hits real hard these days and like it, trying to avoid recency bias as much as possible I do still I agree with you I think this is one of his best performances um, and I think if people missed it when it came out they should definitely track it down it's an hour and a half and uh, uh, this I think I, I've like definitely loved this director on my like watch watching list of like your next film. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little notification and I will like be right first in line. See yeah. what they do next. Yeah, it's kind of like crazy as well to know that Michael Sarnowski is going from this and now he's directing the next film in the A Quiet Place movies as well. Which yeah, is... yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> What what a story! What a story! But yeah, um, it's a, certainly a lovely way to wrap up. And you know, he says in the film, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. Nicholas Cage, you've given me ninety nine episodes of things to care about. Um, <laughs> That's so sweet. Yes, yes. Um, that is making the edit absolutely. Um, we wrap up. It's left for me to say, obviously, uh, Meg Shields, thank you so much uh, oh, for joining you. me this okay. week. Um, for the listeners and beyond, where can we find you on the socials and such? Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at the worst nun. At the worst nun. <laughs> <laughs> at the worst nun. Lovely stuff. Links will be in the description down below as ever. And as we wrap up here on uh, old episode 99, uh, and what an episode it's been. Uh, Meg, thank you again so much. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to you, dear listener. We will see you in the next one. But until then, and as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you, take care, and goodbye. And there you have it, episode 99 in the history books. And as of this recording, one more episode to go. The big hundo, the big 100, coming next week as I discuss the unbearable weight of massive talent with Lucy Buglis. That is to come. And then, as again, as of this recording, recording this uh, intro and outro on... Uh, August 7th, 2022, we will be caught up on the podcast, if you can believe that, and then we'll have 
to wait for some more cage um, greatness. That is in the form of the retirement plan. Butchers Crossing, The Old Way, Renfield coming next year, the upcoming Hours and TV series, High Fire. So plenty of stuff to look forward to. It's going to be a waiting game for a little while. But in the interim, there's something a little exciting coming. Now, I've mentioned it before on social media, mentioned it before on the podcast, hither and indeed thither. And if you follow on social media, then you will already know what's coming up, but what better time to announce it than here as well. As in the coming weeks and months, uh, both myself and friend of the podcast, Petros, but to us over at the Caged In podcast, we will be joining forces to bring you a brand new podcast covering the works of Willem Dafoe, one of cinema's madmen. We're going to get into the nitty and gritty of all things Dafoe, covering his 100 plus movies, even more than Cage in uh, seasons. We're still going to be ironing out the details, but, 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 what we can do is uh, give you a little taste, a little sneak peek of things to come. And here is a little exclusive for you, the theme tune to Getting Defoe You. Um, it's an absolute banger, Petros is a bloody wizard, uh, but be sure to follow Getting Defoe You on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. It's going to be a banger. We're really excited. Keep an ear out. And here's the theme tune. Enjoy. Getting to follow you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to follow you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day. Hello and welcome to Getting to Foe You, a podcast brought to you by Petros Pantsilivus and Daryl Edge, two men hell-bent on getting to know the actor William James Defoe a little better. Starting with Heaven's Gate, we will move to the present and into the future as we cover every film this enigmatic actor has ever appeared in, from small roles to star turns and everything in between. So please do join us along our journey as we get to know Willem Dafoe in Getting Dafoe You.